morning. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you. you guys doing all right this morning? Yes. All right. Three of you are doing good. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. My name is Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here. And it's my honor and privilege to open up the scriptures and study them with you. Isaiah 58 and Matthew chapter 25. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and head over there. We'll get there in just a moment. If you are a visitor, welcome. If, you know, you don't normally come to church, but... Some woman in your life asked you to come today, and because it's Mom's Day, you had to come. You couldn't say no. Uh, we still welcome you. Thank you for coming today. Uh, and here's an idea. Just freak Mama out and come next week. That would be crazy. That would just be crazy, right? Just freak Mama out and come next week. I would love to see you next week, so consider that your invite. Uh, we'd love to have you uh, with us again. We are in week four of a six-week series we're just calling Redacted. Uh, to redact something just means that you come in after it is written and you take things out or you cover them over uh, with thick, dark lines. If you get your hands on a classified document from the CIA and, and you're not like a master criminal, a criminal mastermind or, you know, a part of the CIA or have classified clearance, that's going to be redacted, right? Some of that is going to be marked out and, and redacted. And so the idea of this series is that we do the same thing uh, with our Bibles. Uh, we redact the things that, that, don't, that make us uncomfortable, that make us uh, feel uh, like we have to change, that, that would cost us something, cost friendships, cost time, cost uh, money, whatever it is, we tend to redact those things. Now, nobody's grabbing a Sharpie. Nobody in here is grabbing a, a Sharpie marker and marking something out of your Bible. Nobody's ripping pages out. We're not Thomas Jefferson using a knife and carving things out of the Bible. We're not saying that. But what we are saying is that although the Bible in your hand may not be a redacted version, the one you hold in your heart actually is. The one you actually believe, the one you live by, there are some things that have been redacted out of it. And so in this series, we're just taking on six biblical ideas that are clear in the scriptures that we tend to ignore, that we tend to redact out of the Bible we live by, or we change in our heads to fit our experience or to fit our beliefs rather than changing our beliefs to fit what the scriptures say. So if you missed the first three, make sure you get those on iTunes or our website so you can get caught up. Um, this week is four. We'll get into that in a second. Next week uh, is, is number five, and that is uh, the idea, the biblical idea that God has a specific design for sex and sexuality. And so that's something that we've redacted. There's a lot of pressure in our culture to redact that from the Bible. And so we're just going to tackle that next week and talk through that. Don't miss that. Make sure you come for that next week. Let me uh, get us going on number four, this week's message, uh, in this way. Uh, on Mother's Day, we celebrate... The gift God has given us in our moms, right? We celebrate the gift God has given us in our moms. God created moms to be loving and caring and nurturing, to guide and to instruct. Talk to any mom who's, who's had a, a baby uh, biologically, and they'll tell you that motherhood starts actually before that baby is born. Definitely physically. Can I get an amen from some of them? Yeah. And so physically, it definitely starts before. Uh, whatever you put into your body, whatever mom puts into their body goes into the baby's body. Whatever they do affects the baby. The Bible says that, that, that you were knit in your mother's womb, that before you were born, you were already you in the womb of of your mother. And so motherhood starts even before uh, a child is born. And, and that's physically, also emotionally, it starts uh, early on. And then when that Bible, that Bible, that baby is born, when you have give birth to a Bible, that'd be strange. <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you give birth to that baby, now he or she clings to you, right? Clings to the mom. Uh, and God set it up that way. It's supposed to work that way. God made the mom's bodies able to feed their babies, right? Dad's, not so much. Not so much. So I'm like, man, I wish I could get up three times a night. I wish I could be the one to feed the baby. I don't have the right equipment. I can't help it, right? That's our excuse, right, dads? That's what we, that's what we do, and that's, so probably shouldn't say that, but that's, that's what we do. Moms, moms are amazing. Man, they stick with us and help us and love us and forgive us and care for us and give us advice. And, and they stay even when we're jerk teenagers, right? They stay even after we leave the house as adults and we forget to call for months at a time. They stick with us. Moms, moms are amazing. On Mother's Day, we celebrate the gift God has given us 
in our moms. But not everybody has a mom like that, right? Not everybody has a mom like that. That's the difficulty of days like Mother's Day and Father's Day. Not everybody has a mom like that. Not, not all of us would describe our moms with those same adjectives. We would use some different adjectives. Some of us, maybe you didn't know your mom. Maybe it's because she died when you were young, or maybe it's because you were abandoned. But not all of us have a mom like this, or, or parents like this. And so, so Mother's Day isn't always easy for everybody. What I'm saying is that what we really celebrate on Mother's Day is the ideal, right? We celebrate the ideal. We celebrate the way God created moms to be. We celebrate the, the way God made moms to work best, the way they're supposed to be, the ideal. But oftentimes, the ideal is, is lacking. Oftentimes, the ideal is lacking because of sin, death, difficulty, illness. The ideal is lacking. And I'm so thankful for my mom. From the time I was small to the time I was about 10 years old, my mom was everything to me. I'm one of three biological siblings, all boys, and so I'm the youngest, and so I was unashamedly a mama's boy, like unashamedly. And my mom was holding me in her lap long after she should have not been doing that, <laughs> all right? Like I remember first thing in the morning, every morning, getting up, and first thing I would do is go find my mom and get my morning hug, right? But that was when the morning breath definitely wasn't ideal, <laughs> right? And she would hold me. My mom, I, I love my mom. My mom was, was an awesome, awesome uh, mom. She was there. She listened. She loved. She cared. She corrected. And I'm, I'm so thankful for my mom. But around the time I was 10, my mom got sick. And she had a lot of pain. And, and the doctors couldn't really figure out what was wrong with her. And so she had a bunch of surgeries. And, and before... We were calling it opioid addiction before we were talking about an, an opioid crisis in our country. My mom became addicted to prescription drugs, and then she became an alcoholic, and then my parents got a divorce, and everything just kind of spiraled out of control, and, and she no longer was the mom that I knew. She had changed. She was sick. She was struggling. There's a lot of side stories that I could get into of screaming fights and car wrecks and finding her passed out multiple times. But the story ends with my mom overdosing when I was a senior in high school, the March, March of my senior year when I was 18, overdosing and dying. The day that I helped carry my mom's body out of my grandma's house in a sheet. Sometimes things aren't ideal, right? Sometimes things don't work out like we had planned. Many of you have much worse stories than I have. God has a specific design, an ideal, the way it's supposed to work, but because we live in a fallen world, that doesn't always happen. But on days like today, we celebrate that. We celebrate the ideal, even though because of sin and sickness and death, it doesn't always work out that way. And that fact that it doesn't always work out that way or it didn't work that way, that, that, can, that can derail you. That can be like quicksand that pulls you down. Or it can cause you to be more thankful for what you do have. More thankful for, for what you have. Like It can cause you to look around your life and go, man, I've got a pretty ideal situation over here. Thank you, God. Like when I think about my little family of five and I think about how awesome Aaron is as a mom and I, I think about how every day I get three little morning hugs. Morning breath and all. When I think about that, it makes me, it makes me more thankful because, because I know personally, intuitively, experientially, I know it doesn't always work out that way. I know it doesn't always work out that way. And it's not just... With moms and dads, right? It's in every area of our life. I mean, nobody grows up thinking, I hope I'm poor. <laughs> nobody does that. Nobody goes, I hope I develop a 
debilitating disease. Nobody does that. No, nobody's going, I hope I'm a widower or a widow. I hope that I get addicted to drugs. Nobody has a kid's going, I hope I abandon my kids someday. I hope I end up homeless. No one does that. We all have high hopes for ourselves, our kids, our family, our, our friends. We all have hopes to be healthy, to, to find a spouse, to have a beautiful little family, to make enough money to, to feel safe and secure and, and comfortable. So there, there's this ideal, and then there's reality. And for many of us, the distance, the gap between the ideal and the reality is quite large. It's pretty, pretty far away. And sometimes that can be because of consequences, right? Like we make bad decisions and we have to deal with the consequences and, and it's on us. But many times you're not living in the ideal. It's, it's not because of consequences of bad decisions. It just is. It's just because stuff happens. It's just because we live in a fallen world full of sin, imperfection, illness, and sickness. We live in that world. And even if it is because of consequences, it's still devastating, isn't it? It's still difficult. Either way, it's, it's devastating. And, and there's still this spiral and there's still this snowball effect because my issues become my kids' issues and their issues become their kids' issues. And what they can't let go of, their kids can't let go of. And it just spirals and snowballs. Ideal versus reality. If you're like me, you, you feel that tension on days like Mother's Day. So follow me for a minute. What, what this creates is a world full of people in need. A world full of people in need. Various levels of need, but many in desperate Need. These are people in whose lives the ideal has not happened. The common hopes you and I and every human on the planet share with them have been beaten out of them by a fallen world. By sin, by imperfection, by oppression, by the apathy of others and more. This is a fact. There are tons of of people in need, struggling, hopes lost. And listen, there always will be. Jesus even said that. He said, you'll always have the poor among you. They'll always be there. You'll always have the poor among you. Until he returns, until heaven, there will always be poor and hurting in our world, always. So, So with this reality in mind, what's the answer? I mean, what's God's answer? What's God's answer to this problem that there will always be hurting and needy, struggling people in our world? The orphans, the widows, the impoverished, the, the, the abused, neglected, oppressed. Crying out to God to re, for relief, for help. What's God's answer to their cries for help? What I hope to convince you of challenge you with and even move you towards today is this truth. The church is God's answer for the hurting. The church is God's answer for the hurting. It's us. If you're a part of the church, if you're If you are the church, and I'm not talking about Great Oaks Community Church, I'm not talking about this church, and I'm not talking about religious institutions and hierarchies. That's not what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about authentic communities of Jesus followers who who have, uh, have submitted their lives to Christ, have given the authority for their decisions and their lives over to Jesus Christ, put their hope for this life and the next in Jesus Christ, and take seriously his command to love God and to love our neighbor. That's what I'm talking about. When I talk about when I'm talking about church, the church, that, that's what I'm talking about. Authentic Jesus followers. Not, not everybody who believes Jesus is real, not what I'm talking about. Not everybody who was baptized at one time in their life. Not what I'm talking about. Not everybody who's on a membership role at a church. Not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Christ followers. Local communities 
of authentic Jesus followers. That's the church. That's who I'm talking about. If you're not a follower of Jesus, then, then you don't have to worry about this. This isn't for you. But if you are, then this is a big deal. I'm going to walk through some scriptures with you this morning. This is all over the Bible. Like it would take a lot of ink to redact this one from the Bible. I mean, it is all over the Bible, the idea that the church is God's answer for the hurting. But if you look at how most of us live our lives, what we sacrifice for and don't, what we spend our time on and don't, if you look at how we live our lives, we've redacted this. We've taken this out of the Bible. I mean, we don't, it's not, doesn't even enter into our lives. It's not ours to deal with. We've given it to somebody else to deal with, right? We've redacted it from the Bible in our hearts. So I'm going to read you a bunch of Proverbs in rapid succession, okay? And then I'm going to camp out in Isaiah 58 and in Matthew 25. It'll all be on the screen. Here's Proverbs 3, 27, starting in 27. Do not withhold good from those who... To whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Don't do that. Proverbs 12 verse, or 11 verse 24 says this. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and, and one who waters will himself be watered. So God set this whole thing up. For us to bless those in need. Look at Proverbs 14, 24. Um, it says, or 14, 21. It says this, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. So God blesses those who are generous to the poor. Same chapter, verse 31 says this, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. But he who is generous to the needy honors him. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. In other words, jack with the poor and you're jacking with God. God's the one that's going to answer that. If you oppress a poor man, you insult God himself. Look at Proverbs 19. Proverbs 19, verse 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. So, so don't worry about getting your money back. When you give to the poor, when you pour out for the poor, you don't worry about getting a, a return on that investment from the poor. He goes, actually, you're lending to God. It's a pretty sweet deal because God always pays his debts. And so he goes, you're lending to God. When you give to the poor, you are lending to, to God. Look at Proverbs 29, or 22, I should say, verse 9. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Same chapter, verse 22. Do not rob the poor, because he's poor. Or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause. And listen to this. Rob of life those who rob them. Another translation has this this way. That God will exact life for life. And so if you come against those in need, you're directly and intentionally coming against God. And he's not going to take it lightly. Look at Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28 verse 27 says, Whoever gives to the poor will not want... But he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. So, it, so now it's not just not oppressing the poor, but it's if you ignore them. If you ignore them, this Bible verse just said in Proverbs that, that you will bring a curse on yourself and on your family, a curse from God. So, so it's not just not help or not hurting them, it's about ignoring them. If you redact them from your reality, if you act like they're not there and they don't actually have need, if you act like this isn't true, that the reality is most people, many people live in some kind of need. If you act like that's not real, then you've Bring upon yourself a curse. Look at Proverbs 31.8. Just last one here in Proverbs. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. The Bible is saying over and over and over that those who call themselves followers of God, who have given their lives to God, followers of Jesus, the church, we are God's answer for the hurting. 
Our lives are supposed to be poured out for those in need. We are blessed for one reason, and it is to bless others. We're supposed to be poured out. We're blessed to be a blessing. And all I've read to you is from one book in the Bible. It may take a lot of ink just to redact what's in the book of Proverbs about this. And there's more in the book of Proverbs that I skipped. And there's a lot more in the rest of the Bible about this whole idea that we are God's answer for the hurting. Let me, let me just camp out in Isaiah 58 for a few moments. In Isaiah 58, if you want to turn there, starting in verse 3, in Isaiah 58, God is talking to the people of Israel, and he's not happy with their sacrifices. He's not happy with their fasts. He's not happy with their religious festivals. And he's going, this is unacceptable to me. And he begins to tell them why it's unacceptable. It's Isaiah 58. Let me see if I can get there. Isaiah 58, starting in verse 3, says this, Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast? And a day acceptable to the Lord. So God's going, you're fasting, you're doing these sacrifices, these religious things, but they're empty. They're empty. You're living a wicked life the whole time you're doing this. You hit with a wicked fist. You seek your own pleasure. He goes, is this, is this what you think I want? In our day it would read something like, you go to church You love raising your hands when you sing. You love going to life group. You love sharing posts about me. You love your little causes that make you feel like you're just because you care about this one thing. You love, you know, dropping money in the bucket as it goes by and serving in the kids' ministry. All that stuff is great, but all of this you do for your own sake to make yourself feel better, to keep yourself comfortable to look and feel good. God's going, is this what you think I want? You do this whole thing and you neglect my commands. You neglect my mission to care for those in need. Is this what you think I want? And if you're an Israelite at the time in Isaiah 58, and God goes, is this what I called you to do? Is this what you think I want? You're going, "Uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, actually we do because we're doing the stuff that you told us to do. We're doing the stuff you told us. We're doing the law. We're doing the stuff that you told us to do. So if you're an Israelite, you're going, yes, actually, we do think that that's what you told us to do. So the question becomes, what, what is it that God wants? What is, if this fast, if this sacrifice is not acceptable, what is it that is acceptable? Verse 6, is not this the fast that I choose? So here it is. God goes, this is what I want you to do. This is the sacrifice that matters. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Don't act like these people in need aren't around. Verse 8, then... Shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then... Shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. In other words, when it's difficult, God will be there and will give you peace when, when you shouldn't have it. And he'll make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. God's going, God's going this is what... I want. So, so are you, are you trying to figure out what God wants? 
Are you a Jesus follower trying to figure that out? Or maybe you want to be a Jesus follower? And do, do you have a desire when all is said and done and you, your life is over, you're at the end of your life, to, to, have, to have spent your life where God would have you spend it? Do you have that kind of a desire? Because this is it. Isaiah 58, this is it. He doesn't care about empty religious action. You could come into these church doors a million times. You could give millions of dollars. You could spend hours serving people here. All those things are good. You could go to life group and read your Bible every day and memorize scripture. All those things are great. Please do those things. But if you do those things and you neglect those in the greatest need, God goes, it's unacceptable. I don't accept your fast. I don't accept your sacrifice. I don't accept your worship. If you do all that and neglect those that I've called you to serve and to help, I don't don't accept it. God goes, "I, I don't accept. That's not what I'm looking for. That's not how it works. He's going, not everybody in the world has an ideal situation going on. There are many suffering. You... You are my answer, God's saying, to their cries for help. And maybe, maybe you're going, man, pastor, you're going OT on us today, right? I mean, you are going straight up Old Testament. I don't know. I don't know if that's what, I'm going to go overtime too, but just don't, <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about right now. You're going OT on us. Like, man, come on, I don't know. It sounds kind of harsh. I'm not sure the New Testament would say the same thing. Well, well Jesus, Jesus says something very similar in Matthew 25, very similar to Isaiah 58. It's almost as if Jesus had read Isaiah 58. I'm not sure. But he's talking about the final judgment. He's talking about the moment where people are, are split up and, and, and those on his right are going to go to heaven and those on his left are going to go to hell. That's what he's talking about. And there's this moment before that happens and he's, he's teaching through that. And he says this in verse 33 of Matthew 25. I'm going to read this whole passage to you. Stick with me. And he will place the sheep on his right. Congratulations, guys. You, can, you guys are the sheep. He's going to place the sheep on his right but the goats on his left. That's you guys. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, guys. Calm down. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink. And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And and when did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he'll say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then those also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Listen to this. Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There's not a lot to explain in that text. I mean, are you a Jesus follower? Do you want to follow Jesus? Maybe you, you want to, maybe you are, maybe you're wondering, what is it that Jesus wants from me? What is it, how do I spend my life where Jesus would have me spend it? This is it. Matthew 25, he's very, very clear that this is it. If you're somebody who wants to be the church, the church is God's answer for the hurting. The church is Jesus' answer to the cries of the hurting. He goes, you want to know what I think is righteous? You want to know the kind of person that I'm letting in? 
It's the person who takes my commands to, to feed the hungry, to help the widow, the orphan, the people who may not look like them, who may not talk like them, who may not have the same political bent as they do, who, who may live in a different part of town than they do. You know what? Those people who have poured their lives out for people in need, the least of these, Jesus says, that's righteous. That's who I'm letting in. I mean, you want to know what Jesus wants from you? This is it. He goes, if you're serving any, if you're, if you're clothing, if you're feeding, if you're taking care of ministering to the least of these, then you, you, you're guaranteed, man, you are doing that for me, for Jesus. It reminds me of Proverbs 19, 17. We read earlier, when you give to the needy, you're lending to God. When you serve the needy, you're serving God. When you pour your life out for the needy, you're pouring your life out for God. The church is God's answer for the hurting, the needy, the poor, abused, alone, the orphans, the homeless, the widows, the abandoned. The church is God's answer. You and me, authentic communities of Jesus followers. And today is the day we celebrate the ideal the way it's supposed to be, the way God designed it to be. And listen, if you're one of the fortunate ones, if you're one of the favored ones in our world that today can point easily to a mom to celebrate, then by all means, celebrate. I know I will. But don't forget that there are so many in our world who are not living in that ideal. There's a large distance between the ideal and the reality for many. In a fallen world, the hurting abound. They're everywhere. They can't afford for us to act like they're not there. They can't afford for us to act like they're not there, to redact them from our lives and our reality. But listen to this. I'm not sure based on Isaiah 58 and and, um, Matthew 25 that we can afford to redact them from our realities. I'm not sure that we can afford it because Jesus goes, what you did not do to the least of these, you did not do to me. He didn't say, when you oppress the poor, you oppress me. He goes, when you ignored them, you ignored me. So I'm not even sure you and I can afford to redact this whole idea. But I think that's what a lot of us have done. We we think this is like not our deal. This is not the church. It's not on the church. It's on somebody else to do this. So we may not oppress those in need directly, but we ignore them. We're apathetic to their cries of pain. The cries that God has sovereignly, intentionally, and directly sent us to answer. Because there are 400,000 orphans in our nation. 400,000. Listen to this. There are 350,000 churches. Not not Christians. Not Christ-following families. 350,000 churches. There are 18,000 kids in foster homes in the state of Illinois alone. Many of those foster homes are not good places, and the system is constantly in crisis mode trying to get new, good foster families to take in new kids that come into the system. Out of those 18,000, there are 3,300 who are waiting to be adopted right now. These are, or today, these are orphans. These, are, their parents have died, abandoned them. They, they're in jail for, for drugs or abuse, violence, whatever. These are orphans. No families. 3,300 orphans waiting for adoption in the state of Illinois alone. Listen to this. There are 6,400 evangelical churches in the state of Illinois. Not all churches, not Christ-following families, not Christians, not all churches, just churches that would agree with us on some doctrine. 
6,400 evangelical churches. So basically, if one Christ-following family from half of these evangelical churches would decide to take in an orphan who's ready to be adopted today, we would empty out the system in the state of Illinois of orphans ready to be adopted. Isn't that crazy? We would empty it out in one day. We'd be done. But that's not how we think. But we don't think this is on the church. We've, the church, we've given the responsibility, the God-given responsibility to take care of the needs of the poor, oppressed, needy, struggling. We've taken that responsibility and we've given it to the government. We've given it to nonprofit organizations, many of whom have nothing to do with Jesus. The church, we have outsourced our responsibility to care for the needy. And it has to change. Listen to me, beloved. This responsibility, God didn't give it to the government. God didn't give it to nonprofits who aren't involved in the church. God didn't do that. God gave this responsibility to us, the church, communities of authentic Jesus followers. It's, to, it's on us. It's not placed by God on the shoulder of the government. It's placed by God on our shoulders. His answer is not government. It is the church. I've just talked about orphans and foster kids, but what about those who are homeless? There are 550,000 homeless people in our nation. 10,643 of them are in the state of Illinois. In the city of Peoria alone, four months ago, organizations that work directly with homeless people like Dream Center Peoria, Rescue Mission, Southside Mission, the best they could guess, four months ago, they said that there were 360 homeless people in homeless shelters in Peoria alone. 360 people. That's, that's more than, probably pretty close to more than who are in this room of homeless people, right? Just, just 10 miles away in Peoria. That's not a small group. DCFS, I called them two weeks ago. They told us that they have 168 kids waiting to be adopted and 1,242 kids in foster care in the Peoria area. Just in Peoria, just in like a 15-mile radius from where we're sitting right now, there are 168 kids who are orphans. They have no family. They have no chance at, at their parents ever being their parents. They need somebody to come into their lives and to adopt them. That's 168 kids in our area alone. Now listen to this. There are at least... 250 churches in the Peoria area. So if each church, not each Christian, but each church, just helped one homeless person, we'd take care of two-thirds of the homeless population. And if each church adopted one kid, we'd take care of all of the kids needing to be adopted, orphans in the Peoria area in one fell swoop. We don't think that way, do we? That's somebody else's problem. I mean, that's what DCFS is here for. Let them handle it. I mean, I pay my taxes. That takes care of orphans, right? I mean, I give $50 a month to Dream Center Peoria. They got homelessness handled. We don't think it's on us. And listen, there are stories of churches who are doing this. I'll be honest with you, it's hard to find them. But there are some churches, local communities of authentic Jesus followers, churches. There are churches taking on homeless, the, the homeless epidemic in their area head on. They're going to the streets. They're helping homeless. They're not just paying people to do it, but they're helping homeless people directly. There's a tiny church. Listen, about, listen to this. A tiny church in a place called Possum Trot, Texas. Now, I don't, I don't know why you don't change your city name. Just let's take a vote, all right? But Possum Trot, Texas, a tiny little town, 700 people, population 700 people, in the middle of nowhere, tiny little church of people over 50 years old, okay, tiny little church in Possum Trot, Texas, adopted 76 
kids from foster care. Because all of a sudden they go, hey, I think Isaiah 58 is like still true. I think what Jesus said in Matthew 25, it's not allegorical. It's not, oh, let me pray about it. It's not, well, that's not my calling. It seems like he was talking to all Jesus followers. They go, this is kind of a serious deal. And so they adopted 76. Their church like tripled in size. Because of the kids coming in. I mean, isn't that crazy? There's a church in the Denver area who a few years ago got really serious about this. At the time, there were 900 kids waiting to be adopted, already released to be adopted in the foster care system in the Denver area. 900 kids. And in the 10 years since they got serious about this, that number has dropped. While everywhere else it's going up, that number has dropped from 900 to 200. In other words, there's never more than 200 kids needing, adopt, needing to be adopted in the Denver area. It turned into a movement called Project 127. It's based on James 127, that pure and undefiled religion is this, taking care of the widows and the orphans. That's it, James says. Project 127, you can, you can look it up. So there are some churches doing this here and there, a few. But what about here? What about here? I mean, we have to unredact this whole idea from the Bible we hold in our hearts. We'd have to accept that God's answer to the hurting in this world is us. It's the church. And then let's be honest, we'd have to do some drastic things, wouldn't we? Personally. In our families, we'd have to do some drastic things. We'd have to make some drastic ch changes. We'd have to rearrange our lives and our priorities and our, our homes, our finances. We'd have to open our homes. We'd have to put God's call on our lives as the church to take care of and help the hurting and the needy. We'd have to put that above our priority of safety and comfort and ease, and a certain standard of living, and activity. We'd have to go, you know, you know, I think this is actually something God wants me to do, and I think maybe it doesn't matter how old my kids are, or it doesn't matter if I want to wait 10 years. It doesn't matter if I'm really busy and I'm doing something every night of the week. I'm just a little too busy to take care of orphans. It doesn't matter. And we'd have to really drastically change the way we look at this. It would be hard to unredact this from the Bible in our hearts. Listen, this is just a sermon. I don't have a system. I don't have a program. I'm not about to, like, pass out a sign-up sheet. That's not what I'm here to do. I haven't figured it all out for you. I haven't answered all the questions. I haven't filled in all the blanks for you. You are going to have to figure out how you and your family will answer this very clear call in the scriptures. But I know what I'm going to do. My family and I, my wife and I, we've decided to open our homes to open our home. We only have one. Open our home to foster kids. We've decided to open our home to foster kids. We've been through the process. It's been two or three months now, five, six months. I don't know. It seems like a long time. But next month, we get to take in some foster kids. Hopefully, we get licensed and we take care of some foster kids. Start welcoming foster kids into our home. You're, that's what we're going to do. I don't, know, I don't know what you're going to do, but I know this isn't going to be easy for my family, but, but we can't shake the idea that the commands of Scripture seem to be solid and there no matter how easy they are to accomplish. Let's say that again. We can't shake the idea that the commands of Scripture like those in Matthew 25 and Isaiah 58 stand alone apart from the ease in which they are accomplished. It seems like they're there whether it's hard or difficult or easy or comfortable or not. We can't shake it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to open our, our home to kids in need. I don't know what you're supposed to do. I don't know what you're supposed to do. I know if you live in this area, chances are for some reason God, God has decided to give you a bunch of stuff. He's given you probably some good 
a good salary, a good house, a comfortable lifestyle. I don't know why, but he did that. I know that if you're a Christ follower, you're the best hope that a person in need has, both physically and spiritually. But I don't know what you're supposed to do. Maybe you're supposed to foster kids in need. Maybe you're supposed to adopt a few of those 168 that are waiting. Maybe you're supposed to go downtown and minister to homeless people or help drug addicts or help teens who are pregnant. I don't know. Maybe it's to work in a prison ministry or to help those who are victims from human trafficking or, or to help refugees. I don't know. But, but I, know, I know what we're not supposed to do. I'm totally 100% clear of what we're not supposed to do. We're not supposed to do nothing. We're not supposed to continue to ignore this and outsource it to other people and other organizations and the government. We're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to do nothing. Listen to Proverbs 3, 27 through 28 from earlier. Do not withhold good when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go, come again tomorrow and I'll give it when you have it with you. Ah, I hear you, pastor. I'll do it when I have more time. I'll do it when I get this next promotion. I'll do it when my kids are a little older. I'll do it when we get the house finished. I'll do it after baseball season. I, I hear you, pastor. I'll do it when fill in the blank. That doesn't cut it with God. Now listen, more importantly, maybe more importantly, it's not working. It's not working. 550,000 homeless people in our nation. 400,000 kids, orphans in need of loving homes. It's not working. We can't put it off till tomorrow. We have to do it today. We have to do it today. Listen, the church, you, if you're a Jesus follower, communities of authentic Jesus followers, churches, the church is the answer. It's God's answer for those in need, for the hurting. It's us. It's us. James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion is this. They take care of orphans and widows. It's on us. So my question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? I can't answer that. But I hope you'll do something. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Your word that convicts us. I guess my prayer, God, has been this last couple weeks is, since I've written this message and been praying towards it. Lord, I pray, been praying, God, that you would convict us because your conviction, Holy Spirit, it turns into action. So I don't, I don't, I'm not interested in guilt or shame. I'm interested in your conviction. And I feel like, I feel like we just are so off in this area. And I feel like it's like it, we've talked about it being redacted out of the Bible in our hearts. I feel like our hearts have tumors in them. And to get this stuff out, to change this, is going to be like ripping tumors out of our hearts. We're sick. So we just repent. I repent. God, for my unwillingness, not inability, but my unwillingness to care for those in need. I repent. I ask for you to help me. How can I help people in need? How can I be your light in dark places? We repent as a church, as the church, for outsourcing this to the government, to nonprofit organizations. God, I pray that Great Oaks Community Church would be a community of authentic Jesus followers who take your commands seriously, that we would pick back up this mantle that you've placed on us to care for the hurting in our world, those who are not in ideal situations, the widow, the orphan, the abandoned, the abused, the homeless, the poor, the struggling, the hurting. God, I pray that we would pick it up and run with it 
Lord, I know we have a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions. Like, how's this foster thing going to work when I've got a three-year-old and a five-year-old and a ten-year-old? And how's this going to work in our busy lives? And man, how do I, how do I help a homeless person? What if I help them and, and their drama becomes my drama? What if I try to help a drug addict and they don't get better and they they pull me down? What if, what if it's hard? What if it's difficult for my kids to have foster kids in their home? What what if? I don't have all the answers, God, but I, I pray, I guess, that in the midst of those questions and doubts, that none of those would even get close on a scale to, to weighing as much as your commands, to weighing near as much as what you've called us to do, that your clear command in Scripture in Isaiah 58 and Matthew 25 would outweigh all those questions and those doubts and those excuses, because that's what they are, excuses. I don't have the answer, God, but I pray that in the midst of of not knowing, in the midst of doubt, in the midst of legit concerns, I pray in Jesus' name that you would give us a trust and a faith that goes beyond that, that we know, that we know, that we know that as we step out and we pour our lives out for the hurting and the poor and the needy and those who are forgotten, that as we pour our lives out for them, Jesus, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would give us a confidence that you will be with us, that you will handle it, that it may be difficult, but just like Isaiah 58 said that that your light will shine forth, that you will hear our prayers, that you will be, as the scripture said, our rear guard, that you'll take care of us, that you'll protect our family. God, I pray for that kind of trust and faith. Let us be that kind of a church. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray today. Forgive us, oh God. It's in your name we pray. Everybody said amen. Why don't you stand with me? Here's my prayer for you today. May the Bible you hold in your heart match the one you hold in your hands. May you be so devoted to God that His heart for those in need becomes your heart for those in need. And above all else, may you keep from doing nothing to help those in the greatest need, the least of these, as Jesus called them. God bless you. Thanks for coming today on Mother's Day. Um, as always, love for you to talk this over with your life group. If you're not in a life group, stop at Connection Central. We'll get you on. If you're a, get you into a life group, if you're a guest, we've got a gift we'd love to give you. Stop at Connection Central. We'll get you that gift. And as always, my challenge to you today is that you don't let this stop with you. If you've been helped to take your next step towards God, be a Jesus follower who goes out and helps others. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. We're running out of time, so if you need to go and get kids, you can feel yourself, feel feel dismissed. We've got prayer workers on the side that would love to pray for you. Otherwise, stick around and sing with us.